Welcome to your New Mexico government. I'm your host, Kaliole Colota. Today, we are looking into how those affected by homelessness are being helped during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're also checking in with those sworn to protect and serve the police. How have they changed operational practices during this time? How has crime changed? Are they working with the community to provide safety and security? More on that later, but first up, executive producer Marisa DeMarco has a news rundown of what we know today, Wednesday, April 22nd, as of 5 p.m. Okay, lots of news today. An autopsy in California is showing that the first COVID-related deaths in the United States happened a couple of weeks earlier than we thought. Back in early and mid-February, several news outlets are reporting. Also, two cats in New York tested positive for coronavirus after showing some respiratory symptoms. These are not the first cases of animals and pets catching the virus, but they're the first confirmed in the U.S. so far. The Federal Education Department is prohibiting college from giving emergency financial assistance to DACA students, the New York Times reports. And the Washington Post has a story about how the anti-shutdown protests around the U.S. look spontaneous, but anti-shutdown social media ads are funded by something called the Convention of States and part of a well-financed conservative campaign and network of right-leaning individuals and groups. Several states are rushing to reopen businesses, many of them in the South, but leading epidemiologists tell the Post that makes those places new targets for the virus. And it's not really a matter of whether there will be more infections, but how many, especially given the lack of testing and contact tracing. We carried coverage yesterday of a group called Take Back New Mexico that's calling for businesses to reopen in violation of the state's shutdown order. An organizer said they were backed by the state's Republican Party, but today Chairman Steve Pierce says that's not true. The group's organizer today began to walk back claims that the state's Republican Party had endorsed them. We'll have more on that for you tomorrow here on YNMG or check out KUNM's website. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham announced today that she's going to extend the shutdown order until May 15th, according to KOB. She also rolled out a plan to reopen the economy in phases after that. The governor says New Mexico has flattened the curve, but has to maintain social distancing to stay on track. There are 2,210 confirmed cases here today, and there have been 71 deaths. The Navajo Nation will extend closures until May 17th. McKinley County, which overlaps with the Navajo Nation, has become a major hotspot for cases in the state, according to the Santa Fe New Mexican. Data is showing that as of today, 41.5% of the people in the state who are confirmed to be infected are Native American. The Navajo Nation also just announced it's suing the federal government for its share of the billions allotted to tribes in the federal relief package, saying the money shouldn't go to corporations. New Mexico's Senators Tom Udall and Martin Heinrich are urging ICE to release 2,400 detained children during the pandemic. People in New Mexico who are self-employed, independent contractors, and gig workers can start applying for unemployment benefits Sunday, April 26, KRQE is reporting. And if you already filed a claim, you don't need to do it again. And the Bernalillo County Clerk is issuing marriage licenses again, starting Monday, by appointment only. For your New Mexico government, I'm Marisa DeMarco. There have been no confirmed cases of the coronavirus among people experiencing homelessness in Albuquerque, city leaders tell us. KUNM has been following the city's efforts to prevent an outbreak in that population, and one gap stands out to us. The city continues to break up unsheltered people's encampments, despite federal guidelines against doing so during the crisis. 
The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that clearing encampments can cause people to disperse and break connections with service providers. They say do not do it unless it's to move people into individual housing units. KUNM's Hannah Colton has more on the city of Albuquerque's position on encampments during the pandemic and how one's man experience on living in the street this past month differs from what we're hearing from the city. I asked Mayor Tim Keller why the city was still clearing encampments during a press conference last week. He basically said they don't think those CDC recommendations apply here. That was really intended for large existing encampments that a lot of major cities have. We do not have that. So that's one thing that's just kind of an apples and oranges comparison there. The other thing is, unlike a lot of other cities also, is we have somewhere better for folks to go to get medical care. The CDC does not specify different guidance for different places. Albuquerque has the Westside Emergency Shelter on the far outskirts of town, a 450-bed facility that's open 24-7 and buses folks in and out of town each day. The city has healthcare providers there screening people twice a day for COVID symptoms. Still, many people choose to sleep outside, and it's the city's ongoing policy that they can't stay on public property. They say family and community services visited 117 encampments during one week in April to offer resources, make people move, and get rid of stuff left behind. I take a lot of walks around downtown in the evenings, and I met Cypher Johnson one night during that April cold snap when he was trying to get to a friend of a friend's place to camp in their yard. He's been in the area since early March. I'm on my way to Oklahoma to stay on a military base right now with my sister. We exchanged contact info, and I caught up with him this week near a laundromat on Central. Johnson is a soft-spoken 27-year-old. He wears an Adidas tracksuit with shorts and gloves embellished with his own hand stitching. I'm a stitcher, and I was, like, admiring you. Yeah, I've been sewing since I was in seventh grade. I used to do some real weird stuff back then. (laughs) He said he's been sleeping in gravel lots near downtown or behind law firms that are closed right now. That's where he was sitting one night with a guy he just met when he says a black SUV pulled up and he figured right away it was an undercover police officer. Then he threw his lights on and came out and was like, hey, what are you guys doing? Let me see your hands. And like we had our hands up and he started taking pictures of us and stuff. We told, I told him, I'm just sewing right now. The officer did talk to him about the coronavirus outbreak. Nothing Johnson didn't already know, he says. But the interaction was scary for him. Like, I'm like, man, I'm not even from here. I don't got no family here. And this dude about to arrest me for something. The officer never introduced himself, Johnson says. But before he left, he told him it was okay for him to stay near that law office for the time being. Johnson says he's had about seven interactions with police in the last six weeks. He said they usually don't make him move, but that black SUV driver was the only one who offered any kind of resources or information, even though APD tells us their officers have been given pamphlets to hand out about COVID. Johnson says most police officers just seem defensive or fearful. One officer, he asked for help because his wallet got stolen and he needed to get new paperwork. And he, like, got the car looked at me real frightening, like, and I put his hand on his hip where his gun was. He was like, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. Like, when I, when people get like that with me, I'm not listening. Nothing they saying, because I'm just going to leave, you know, because I don't like that feeling. Never got that feeling until I came here. The city says street outreach teams from partners like Healthcare for the Homeless are out at least five days a week offering resources. But Johnson said he hasn't run into any outreach workers. When I talked to Johnson, he'd never heard of the Westside Emergency Shelter. He says he washes up in gas station bathrooms, and a lady he met lets him shower at her place. 
I asked him if he'd thought about what he'd do if he started having a cough, shortness of breath, fever, or other COVID-related symptoms. Honestly, I would take my butt to the hospital quick because my uncle told me there's no price on good health. They don't admit me or take me in, then I'm going to seclude myself. And honestly, I'm not even going to eat or do anything. I'm just going to die slowly. And I don't mind doing that, you know, honestly. The city has motel vouchers available for people experiencing homelessness who test positive for the coronavirus. The city has set up 18 new portable restrooms around town stocked with hand sanitizer. We'll post those locations on our show page. Albuquerque Police Department Deputy Chief Harold Medina told your NM government police are trying to use discretion these days about encampments, only clearing them if there's a disturbance or criminal activity that seems dangerous or if private property owners ask for it. Here's that interview. Now for a conversation about how things are going with the Albuquerque Police Department. I'm on the line with Deputy Chief Harold Medina of the Albuquerque Police Department. Thanks for being with me today. How are you doing, Deputy Chief Medina? Oh, thanks for having us on the show today. Let's talk about homelessness. How are you all, have you changed any official policies about how you interact with people experiencing homelessness during the pandemic? One of the things that we did do early on is we really recommended to our officers not to make physical arrests if they didn't have to. Mm -hmm. And to educate and work with the community. We had a meeting early on with Healthcare for the Homeless and with other parts of the city of Albuquerque government, we got some direction on some situations where, you know, we may want to consider not moving a homeless camp if we didn't have to. Sometimes we could use the information we're given uh, because the situation dictates that we're able to do it. But then at other times, for example, if somebody has an encampment on private property, we're kind of limited by, you know, it's not our property. We can't force somebody to, to leave these individuals on there. So I think that just making sure that we're issuing citations in lieu of arrest. And I think this goes back to a lot of the trust that we had been working to develop over the past year. I uh, helped organize the feeding of about 350 homeless a Saturday for the past 12 months Mm. at the homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. I've had every area commander take a team out there and through community donations, we've been able to provide a meal. And it's really change the culture and the perception of officers towards the homeless, which I think is a great thing. The number one comment I've gotten from my commanders after they go out there for the first time is, Chief, can I take my family with me next time? I'd like them to see how 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 we can help people in this situation and kind of get a better feeling for it. And it's truly changed them. What does the police department make of the CDC's recommendation in terms of, hey, this is how we have to deal with this encampment on a street corner or in an alley? We try to leave people. We try to work through other providers to get them the services they need. We try to get them into temporary housing with some of our city community partners. Uh, we utilize our coast unit. And as a last resort, uh, if, if it's a problem and the unique situation dictates that it's best that we need to get people to move on, our officers will have to make that decision. And it's all dependent on the situation. It's There's so many different factors that we've learned that affect how we interact and deal with the homeless. And 
if we're able to get those resources, they're willing to work with us. We may take down an encampment, but we're taking it down because this person's going to a location such as a hotel because Coast was able to get them somewhere to stay. We really try to communicate well with the homeless. We try to get them the resources they need. And we recognize that they're in a tough spot. And a lot of them are suffering suffering mental illness or some kind of substance abuse problem. And mm-hmm. I hope that our officers always have empathy and understanding for the position these people are in life and that they make the right decisions in, in how they choose to address the situation. How have things changed overall for your officers in how they conduct day-to-day operations? One of the first things we did early on as we were hearing uh, news of this starting in other cities and me and Chief Geyer spoke about it and we implemented a plan where we reduced officers going out and taking calls that they didn't have to take face-to-face. About a year, maybe a year and a half ago, we got all of our officers' cell phones so that they could have access to language interpretation lines. Mm. So when they were dealing with individuals, they could make sure that we had the ability to communicate with all aspects of the community. Mm -hmm. Those phones came in key at this point, and nobody back then could have imagined the impact that it would have. And actually, the feedback from the officers has been tremendous and they feel that this is helping them. We gave them the ability to take calls over the phone and we're probably going to keep that. I can say we're going to keep that after this is done because it's reducing our response times. The amount of time it takes an officer basically to drive to a scene, a lot of times they've already called the person and taken the report. Yeah. And there's, if there's nothing to follow up on, there's no need for the officer to be out there. Well, then we want to make better use. And I always use the analogy, like if we were a car, at some points in time, we were probably getting four miles a gallon. What we want to do is we want to increase that and start getting 15, 20 miles a gallon. And I think this is one of those first steps. I think that uh, coming out of this, staying strong as a community, working together, supporting our local businesses, and making sure that we economically get back on track is going to be one of the most important things we could do. He is Deputy Police Chief Harold Medina of the Albuquerque Police Department. Really appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. You have a good day and you be safe through this. If you need anything, you let us know. During our interview, Deputy Chief Medina mentioned how APD has been working to increase communication between the police force and the community. Before I began working with KUNM, I worked at a very popular bar in downtown Albuquerque. There, working late, late into the night, I would see interactions between police and the homeless. I told him that I noticed the time officers took when dealing with people who suffer from homelessness, an indication that the changes are working. For more info and to dive deep into what is happening with Albuquerque's homeless population, I'm on the line with Jenny Metzler. She's the Chief Executive Officer of Healthcare for the Homeless here in Albuquerque. Jenny, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, Khalil. Good morning. So how's it going for you all? What have the last five weeks been like? The last five weeks have been a quick pivot for Albuquerque Healthcare for the Homeless, and we're all working hard. We still have about 97% of our workforce uh, still really actively engaged in addressing this pandemic. We have increasingly mobilized a big chunk of our staff working remotely, staying on the phones, doing telehealth and support for people, and the rest of our folks redeployed out of four-wall service settings to doing street medicine and street outreach and really engaging those people. Have you seen any positive cases? We have not, and we are not a testing site, but we're able to do some mobile testing. We have done some, but we have not seen positive cases either with our staff or the people whom we serve. That's really good news. Now, we're seeing outbreaks at shelters across the country. They spread very fast. Is there any way to stop that from happening here? 
You know, I'm going to say we haven't seen anything yet in this population, but even as we speak right now today, there could be someone testing positive. There are certainly people out there who have been exposed and possibly infected among the population that's unhoused. Okay. Now, I used to work downtown at a very popular bar in downtown Albuquerque, and I got to know a few people from the homeless population pretty well over the years. And I ran into one, and I asked them if they were taking care, are they going to a shelter? And they expressed that they weren't because they were concerned they might contract it. So they're going to be sleeping on the streets. But we're hearing that reports from advocates that police in Albuquerque, they're still telling folks to move along. What do you think should be happening right now when it comes to people sleeping outdoors and on the streets? The answer is housing first, housing now, housing until we end homelessness. And we can't really lose sight of that. And we hear that there are people who choose to be out in the streets. We take that question out of our conversations and analysis and response and how we understand homelessness because choice is really a very small part of it when all the choices available to you are pretty bad. The recommendations from the CDC are, and I think the mayor has addressed this publicly and his understanding of it, the recommendations for encampments is not to bust them up and disperse people. But there are also good CDC guidelines that we've translated and are offering to people who are out in the field, engaging people to talk to them about if you're going to stay and isolate or quarantine in a shelter or rather in in a camp. You can do these practices even in your tent. Yeah. Now, the city has promised hand washing stations, but it's mostly been community groups. So far, they're the ones making that happen. Do you think the city is doing enough to prevent people from who are experiencing homelessness from getting COVID in the first place? I think the city is doing a lot. And when we talk to our peers around the country, uh, we have really been ahead of the curve in terms of recommendations for encampments and hand washing stations and hygiene. They have put up uh, porta potties. And with the hand washing stations, it's uh, my understanding most recently from talking to the city yesterday is they're working. But this is this is a global pandemic. And those sorts of things are the solutions and responses across this country. What's your biggest worry today moving forward, even if it's just practically? What problem are you wrestling with today? Several of the problems with the population not housed, sleeping rough, and staying in encampments are going to be about really clear pathways. It's just a matter of time when it hits. And when we start to see people who are not well and who test positive or who are still out there, that we make sure that we have a really rigorous and systematic way to very quickly engage them and provide them support. Uh, that's number one. I heard this morning from some of the street outreach folks that people increasingly, as services are closing down um, and businesses or other places where they creatively would charge their phones, like if we want to reach people through telehealth, they have to have the technology. Really simple things like that that have always been barriers are increasingly going to be barriers for keeping people engaged. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you finally, how can people help? What do you all need? I will say we always need money. Every nonprofit that's still in this, um, our number one goal at Albuquerque Healthcare for the Homeless, and I say this for all of our partners, we're not doing this alone. We can't possibly. But our goal is to keep people employed, putting services out to people who won't get it otherwise, keep them healthy, and keep our organizations viable. Yeah, you know, I really like that. That's one question I've been asking everyone is, how are you all evolving in the midst of this? Because the normal we knew in January is not coming back. She's Jenny Metzler, Chief Executive Officer of the Albuquerque Healthcare for the Homeless. This is your NM Government. I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. Every weekday, we're covering the way the virus and health measures are impacting people differently around the state. Stay tuned in weeknights at 7.30 p.m. Have you had to call the police during the shutdown? What was your experience like? We want to cover what is happening with you. We're nearly a month into social distancing. Tell us how this time has affected you. Leave us a message and we could roll it into our shows next week. Call 505-218-7084 and share your story or email yournmgov at gmail.com.
for furthering this conversation along with how COVID-19 is affecting police departments and what they're doing about it. I'm on the line with the chief of police for the Las Cruces Police Department, Chief Patrick Gallagher. Chief Gallagher, thanks for being with me today. My pleasure, Khalil. Good morning. Good morning to you. So let me ask you, how have things changed overall for your officers in day-to-day operations with this pandemic going on? Essentially, the mission of our police department, and probably most police departments across the country, has changed twofold. One of uh, sustainability and one of visibility. The sustainability speaks to keeping our officers healthy, to make sure they're available to respond to calls for service, and to be visible to ensure the community and reassure the community that we are out there 24-7, ready, willing, and able to protect them from the criminal element. To remain sustainable, we've had to limit our interaction with the public more than we usually like to do because we like to maintain an effective police community relationship. What type of measures are you taking to make sure that your police force stays healthy? We've instituted daily briefings that happen in the field rather than having them come into a contained area. So we do the briefings out in the field on the radio um, to limit the contact between the officers themselves. As far as contact with the public, we're not being as proactive as far as seeking out criminal activity as we usually are with regard to stopping suspicious vehicles, stopping vehicles from minor traffic infractions if if necessary. We're issuing uh, citations more than making physical arrests wherever possible. We've encouraged people to make more use of our online crime reporting system. Uh, we like to provide a complete level of service to the city of Las Cruces, and some of that has scaled back where in the past we might have responded to a, a complaint of vandalism or property damage just to do a, a preliminary investigation on the scene. We might now steer that call towards the online reporting system. We're taking the report over the phone. You know, the pandemic has people pretty stressed and down. It's day 40. Have you seen heightened tensions from your force and the people they interact with? Does this escalate call-out situations? Police officers in general are very resilient. They're used to stressful situations, but one of the most stressful situations that they're encountering right now is we've prohibited them using our physical fitness facilities, our gyms at the police station for obvious reasons. We didn't expect this to last this long, and so we're making plans now to reopen it on a limited basis because these men and women, they need that outlet. They need they need to have a physical outlet. So as far as the community itself, the community or calls for service have declined but changed. Uh, the actual police law enforcement services we're providing have, have increased. We're back to that sustainability and visibility mission statement. We're making a much more concerted effort to be visible in the community and visiting locations that are a concern right now, especially businesses that are closed to make sure that people aren't taking advantage of that or schools that are closed, the residential areas, because a lot of people are home now. So we want to make sure that they see us as well. Now, the CDC is recommending against the police breaking up encampments of people experiencing homelessness. But we've heard of that happening here in Albuquerque. What is your policy as far as encampments down in Las Cruces? We seek voluntary compliance first. There's been one or two that have made it to my attention. People expressing concern over these campments and we've been successful in encouraging the people in them to move on and find out elsewhere to go. Las Cruces has several nonprofit organizations that provide very uh, robust services to the homeless community and you know we make sure they're made aware of them. What would you like to see the city government of Las Cruces do to help you do your job right now that it's not doing? I can't think of anything as far as what the city could do. One thing that we've been trying to, to seek is and this is a 
an issue way above city level. And I understand police departments throughout the state and country are facing this because there was a way to get us not the names, but just the addresses of people who have tested positive for this virus to put it in our dispatch system. So when an officer is dispatched, he or she would know immediately, exercise those special precautions because that was somebody in there, we don't know who, but somebody in there has tested positive. Finally, what's your biggest concern right now today? My biggest concern is making sure nobody gets this virus and it doesn't spread. That's my my biggest concern. If it spreads, you know, we've already had a couple of instances where we've had to quarantine uh, several officers at once because there was suspicion of exposure. Health department has been terrific in, in expediting the tests in that in that regard. I worry that it's just a matter of time. So my, my biggest concern is let's, let's knock this thing out as, as much as we can so we don't all have to worry about that. He's Las Cruces Police Department Chief Patrick Gallagher. Chief Gallagher, thanks again for being with me. My pleasure, Khalil. Stay safe. You as well. We appreciate all of our guests' time and that a number of very busy people right now have carved out 15 minutes to speak with URNM government these last weeks. Hospital leaders, doctors, congresspeople, cabinet secretaries. We've reached out to several police departments around the state this week for interviews. The state police department declined, and so did Rio Rancho Police Department. Santa Fe's police chief said he couldn't do it. My next guest is Hank Hughes. He's the executive director for the Coalition to End Homelessness. Hank, thanks for being with me today. Thank you. So the Coalition to End Homelessness works with organizations statewide. What do you know about what's around the state? How about in more rural communities? What's happening out there? We had a very weak safety net for homeless people to begin with, and the COVID-19 crisis has really kind of frayed that even further. So, you know, what we're seeing around the state is that shelters that, you know, were too small to do social distancing, some of them have closed. Other shelters have greatly reduced the number of people that they'll allow in at any one time in order to, you know, have people not be too close to each other. And so that basically means that people, you know, are forced to sleep outside who might have otherwise had shelter. And is that that's happening in rural communities as well? Yeah, definitely. Well, some rural communities didn't have a shelter to begin with, so people were were already sleeping outside. And I think, you know, part of the concern is that the virus hasn't really hit the homeless community hard yet. So, but I think when it does hit that community, we're all worried what's going to happen because you don't want to be sick and sleeping outside at the same time. So trying to get people into a better spot to so they can shelter in place is the real challenge right now going to ask you, like, if you thought that cities and counties were taking the right steps to preventing a fast-spreading outbreak among people experiencing homelessness. Well, I think that the the bigger cities, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, and Las Cruces, are doing the best they can. Yeah, you know, they're they're large enough; they do have a little bit of local resources they can put toward putting people in motels, which is really what we think should happen with anybody who's vulnerable. You know, smaller communities don't have those resources, so you know, not much is happening there. We recently received a twenty thousand dollar grant from the National Low Income Housing Coalition, and so we've been using that to help some of the rural communities put people in motels, and that's going to start this week. What can be done with an eye toward the future? It's something I've been asking everyone. What are we learning now that we can apply after the pandemic subsides? So I think what we should be doing once the federal stimulus money shows up is we should be using that 
not only to put people in motels, but to put people into apartments and places that they can eventually just stay and try and make sure that the funding stays in place to keep them there. What do you think police departments around the state should be doing when it comes to people sleeping outdoors? Should they be breaking up encampments? Should they go to the encampment and say, you guys have to break up, but let's use some of these resources like you just mentioned as far as getting people some shelter and housing and hotels? Ideally, they wouldn't be clearing encampments unless they could offer everybody there a motel room because some people will never like to sleep in shelters. But now a shelter is probably the most dangerous place, right? Because yeah. you'd be encountering other people, even even at the reduced rates. And as soon as one person gets sick, you know, then everybody's going to get sick. So sleeping outside, you know, might be the more prudent action for a lot of people if, if they don't mind doing that. Yeah. Ex- explain to our listeners, what would an outbreak for our homeless community mean for the entire community? An outbreak at a shelter could possibly mean, especially if it wasn't, you know, because people would be asymptomatic at first. Mm-hmm. You know, might mean people wandering around the community looking for stuff and also spreading the virus at the same time. Mm-hmm. When really we want those people sheltering at home and they would probably be just as happy sheltering in a motel rather than, you know, having to go, you know, look for what they need to get through their day. Yeah. And tell me, what's your biggest worry and concern right now today? My biggest worry today is that we're going to run out of the little bit of money we have to put people in motels before the federal money arrives. Mm. I'm just hoping the federal money gets here, you know, soon. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people are hoping some form of whatever federal monies they're owed or have been promised are getting to them. And it's been quite a while since they announced that it was getting to people. So how can people help out? People should, you know, write a check to their local homeless assistance agency, whether it be a a shelter or a food bank or just a day program, as we have in some of our smaller communities, because all of these programs are really stretched to the max right now. They actually need more staff to handle the crisis. And of course, the food banks just need more food and more volunteers. So, you know, contacting a group in your community, you know, that needs help and figuring out what the best way to provide that is. We've actually asked... um, also, for people to donate sleeping bags and tents and things like that if they if they have extras. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on to the show, and thank you for the work that you're doing. He's Hank Hughes, Executive Director of the Coalition to End Homelessness. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Executive producer Marisa DeMarco has a quick follow-up story that came through our first show about the pandemic and people experiencing homelessness. Here she is. People have been asking about this since it aired. In our March 31st episode about people experiencing homelessness, reporter Elise Kaplan from the Albuquerque Journal told us about a possible case of COVID-19 she'd learned of from Lisa Uval with the city. Yeah, so the city has told us that they did hear of one man who was experiencing homelessness who has tested positive. He was going to be transferred to the Westside Shelter. That hadn't happened Friday night when I um, reported that story. And I've tried to get an update, but have not yet heard what's going on with him. Kaplan kept following up and was referred to the city's Joint Information Center a couple of days later. A spokesperson there said that man had never been transported to the Westside shelter. And contrary to what Uval had said initially, they didn't have any confirmed reports of a person experiencing homelessness who had tested positive for coronavirus. Kaplan says, of course, it's possible that he found somewhere else to stay so he wouldn't need to stay at the shelter. For your New Mexico government, I'm Marisa DeMarco. Tomorrow, we look at two national events that have been put on the back burner due to the COVID-19 outbreak, the census and the national election. 
These are monumental events that, if not done correctly, can have lasting consequences for us all. Tune in tomorrow on YNMG at 7.30 p.m. We want to hear your story. We might share your clips on future shows. Call us up, call us up, call us up. 505-218-7084 and share your story or email yournmgov at gmail.com. Find the full list of the resources we talk about on each episode and opportunities to donate or help online at bit.ly slash ynmghub. Albuquerque Healthcare for the Homeless. They have coronavirus resources information on their website on how you can volunteer or donate. Head to abqhch.org. For the Coalition to End Homelessness, head to nmceh.org. Click on the coronavirus updates, and there you will see a full page of resources for you. I mean, it is a full page, so click on it. Your New Mexico government is executive produced by Marisa DeMarco. It's produced by yours truly. News update by Marisa DeMarco. Many thanks to the team at KUNM. Thanks to Hannah Colton for her contributions. Sending a major props to Ty Bannerman and Taylor Velasquez for helping out with the editing work. Theme music is done by Pope. Yes, yes, y'all. Hear us all week long on KUNM's airwaves at 7.30 p.m. Online, find the show on KUNM.org or subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your New Mexico government is a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage is provided in part by the Thornburg Foundation, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, the New Mexico Local News Fund, and KUNM listeners like you. For everyone here at your New Mexico government, I'm Khalil Colonna. Thanks for listening.